following his desperate battle in the Twilight Dimension, a weary Doctor Strange returned to a secluded studio to replenish his power in preparation for the inevitable clash with the Dread Dormammu. But he is soon to find himself locked in mortal combat with a power-hungry madman whose ambition is to dominate the world. Sound familiar? No? Prepare yourself for another incredible excursion into the realm of the supernatural, as none but mystical marvel can portray it. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the fourth episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we'll recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, I'm joined by my friend Duncan, who will be helping out with the recaps. Hi, Duncan. Hey, Conrad. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Before we start, would you like to talk about how you became a fan of Doctor Strange and what you like about the character? Definitely. So I think, similar with a lot of us who grew up in the era that we did, I watched so many of the Marvel cartoons, like Spider-Man and X-Men being like the two biggest ones, so I can't really recall the first time I heard or met Doctor Strange, but the first time that it really stood out for me, uh, and this is a little weird... But it was in 2004, the character Dr. Orpheus on the Venture Brothers is like a uh-uh. comedic portrayal of Dr. Strange and, and just sort of having all these cool powers, but, but still being sort of zany and, and really unique in regards to all of the other superheroes that I've ever seen just stood out. And I, I recognized that there was something special there. Um, and I went and I picked up a whole bunch of comic books and Stephen Strange happened to be in two of them that I had purchased. The first one being... Deadpool versus the Marvel Universe, and more importantly, 1602, which is probably like my favorite Marvel comic ever. Marvel 1602 is really fun, and Doctor Strange is really awesome in it, for sure. Yeah, and, and the thing about Strange in that that really stands out to my mind is, is you have a lot of variants on a lot of the characters in 1602, but Strange seems to be the actual Strange character. <laughs> yeah. He, he's no nonsense, he's still him, and, and he's just sort of dealing with what that comic book has for him. But I, I feel like that no matter what happened in those pages, that Strange is completely canon. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think I'm always of two minds of Doct- with Dr. Orpheus. Because on one hand, I think he's a really funny character and he does a, an interesting job of like the magical stuff. But he's also an epitome of some of the things that I find to be kind of frustrating about Dr. Strange. Or the way he's portrayed in comics where he's this, where mystical means talking like you're in Shakespeare or something every time. <laughs> saying, like, twas and thy and things like that, you know? Yeah, and and I mean, like, if you were to imagine uh, a strange battle without any magical powers around, he's just kind of, like, wiggling his hands at people. <laughs> it's true. And, and it's just super fantastic. And so to see him in, like, a really comedic light in, in Venture Brothers and then to sort of, like, read, especially these old Silver Age comics, I feel that he's very close to how goofy he was in, in that cartoon. Uh, yeah. It's been, it's been super fantastic. <laughs> Cool. So before we get started, let me recap a little bit about, about what we went over last week. So Stephen Strange is an eri- was an arrogant and rich surgeon until a car crash cost him the use of his hands. Seeking a cure, Strange found his way to the Temple of the Ancient One in Tibet and eventually began studying magic and within a few years became a master of the mystic arts. Other main characters include Doctor Strange's master, the Ancient One, and Clea, a beautiful if oddly haired woman from another dimension. Reoccurring villains include uh, Baron Mordo, Strange's former co-pupil under the Ancient One and general evil wizard, and Dormammu, the flame-headed master of the Dark Dimension, which is where Clea is from. Recently, Doctor Strange defeated Dormammu in single combat 
and both Clea and Baron Mordo have been banished to parts unknown. So before we get started, I want to kind of give some background and some research on what I've and some research I've been doing on these comics. Totally. I've been nice. Thanks. I've been I've been <laughs> reading this book called um, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe, and it is some really interesting stuff to say about this era and the relationship between the artist and plotter of Doctor Strange, Steve Ditko, and the writer editor Stan Lee. Namely, that the two of them hated each other, hated each other passionately. That's so weird. Uh, you Steve, don't see that really. I mean, obviously, you don't get that in the in the comics. Yeah, they definitely don't talk about it. But it's, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. Um, Steve, Steve Ditko, like a lot of Marvel artists, would work at home or in his own studio, and then turn in pages once or twice a week. And they'd usually talk to Stan Lee and then hash out story things and stuff like that. But by the time we're reading this issue, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko hadn't talked to each other in well over a year. They hadn't exchanged one word, which is pretty amazing when you consider that. In that time, we've done the entire this entire huge saga with Dormammu and Eternity and the battles between them and stuff over the course one continuous storyline of four, of fourteen issues during which time they never talk to each other once. That's so crazy. Like especially because the the initial stories that you've been talking about are are so important to sort of the the integral um, creation of Doctor Strange and, and his enemies yeah. and and. In, I mean, you mentioned in the past that that Marvel had sort of occasionally done something where the artist was in control of of the story and then someone else would sort of fill in the bubbles. And it kind of seems that that came about as spite, you know, just like whatever, you know, Stan Lee, just put whatever you want in these bubbles. I don't care. Just don't say anything. Yeah, it's really I mean, that's how they did most. That's how Marvel did most of its comics well until like the 90s. But it's interesting that it allows for these sort of strained relationships between character between creators, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so these are the la- so di- so our first two issues are the last ones that Ditko will work on in Doctor Strange and indeed in Marvel in general. After this, he'll go to work on at Charlton Comics, where he'll work on Blue Beetle and he'll create iconic characters like the Question and Captain Adam. And we'll talk about his replacement, Bill Everett, w- when we get there in the comics. <laughs> Finally, I'll mention that if you want to read along with this podcast, the issues we're covering this week are all available on Marvel Unlimited and are reprinted in Essential Doctor Strange Volume 1 or Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange Volume 2. So now, on to the issues! Uh, starting with Strange Tales number 145 from June nineteen. 19- 66. Duncan, if you'll get us started. Sure. Kicking it off, uh, the shield side of the story is titled Lo, the eggs shall hatch. Oh, I, I should also mention that um, the comics we're reading, it's, it's all strange tales, issues, and each comic, half the comic is a shield story, is a Nick Fury agent of shield story, and the other half is a Doctor Strange story. Sorry, go ahead. No worries. Don't worry, noble listeners. We'll get to Strange. We're just going to get through a little, you know, a little work. Crazy once. super spy action first. Exactly, as we have to. Um, <laughs> so in the S.H.I.E.L.D. side of the story, you have a bunch of Nick Fury drone robots being created. Life model decoys. Yeah, <laughs> and they look just as sort of grizzled and grimacing as the original Nick Fury. Uh, and the the sole purpose of these are essentially to lure these flying eggs out to try and capture them, to figure out who is making said flying eggs. Uh, it's it's a weird plan, but, I mean, that's what you do when you're dealing with weird villains. Uh, <laughs> and I want to take a quick second. Uh, Dum Dum Dugan, at one point in this comic, he, he refers to himself as a wizaroo, 
I don't know what that is, but I feel like I can super relate to it. Um, <laughs> so it's also this comic where we meet Jasper Sitwell, who is a total L7, if you catch my meaning. Uh, and he just kind of rolls up. He has so, a bunch of information. He's clearly very dedicated to S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, people start feeling threatened by him. Uh, Dum Dum Dugan, most of all, because Nick Fury is not in- insulting Sitwell but he still is calling Dugan things like a walrish. <laughs> and uh, so all of a sudden, smash cut, and there's the legit no-nonsense, no-frill eggs flying around, blowing up Fury forgeries left and right. And it seems like there's like no point for the the, the fake Furies because... Um, they just get killed, and then the eggs fly away. It's like, that's just the plan, yeah. I guess. Yeah, the plan seems to be going poorly, and, and both sides are really at a moot point, and, which is good that the entire S.H.I.E.L.D. base is rocked by a giant explosion, which Nick Fury and the whole crew rush out to go see what happened. And it's at that point, the leader of, of these eggs, called the Druid who is just a guy in a purple gown wearing a weird X-shaped mask that have giant bullhorns on it? Yes. I don't know. He's the leader of a satanic druid cult. I've never heard of that before, so he can kind of set the rules for fashion. Yeah, and it's like, it's a druid cult, but it's totally Scooby-Dooing all of its magic powers. Like, all the magic powers are actually robots and supercomputers. Yeah, like, they have a tree that's on that's actually, like, a base with hydraulics, and the eggs will just, like, fly into the tree, and they're telling everyone that's gathering around this cult that, oh, they're powerful magicians of these crazy eggs, but they're just little spaceships piloted by smaller druids. Uh, when they're just little spaceships, they somehow seem less impressive. You know? Yeah, it's not the fact that an egg is not really like intimidating, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so, wasting no time, the druid reveals himself to Nick Fury, and he says, you know, I'm the druid, and I want to kill all of the cops, which is really um, underwhelming for a satanic organization. I was, I was expecting at the very least they'd be trying to summon a demon or, no. you know, maybe tear the world asunder or something like that. But No, uh, I shall destroy every law enforcement agency in the land. Yeah, you got to have tangible goals, people. So, so they get into a bare-knuckle, fisticuff brawl. Uh, it turns out that the druid is not fighting fair. He's got all these sorts of gadgets and stuff, but it does not matter. Nick Fury just punches him super-duper hard. Uh, mm-hmm. and proceeds to sort of embarrass him in front of his gang, uh, which they are not okay with. They all come out of the, the <laughs> force surrounding this battle area in these crazy egg tanks and egg, like, flying carriers. There's even, like, an ATST that's part egg, so I've obviously <laughs> called it the chicken egg walker. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't matter. They just blow them all up. Uh, and the story just kind of wraps up with now Fury and uh, Dugan and everyone being threatened by Sitwell because he is just too dedicated to S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, man, just take a break or something. You're making us all look bad. Seriously. Um, But now we get to the real part. We get to Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, in To Catch a Magician, eerily edited by Stan Lee, spookily scripted by Dennis O'Neill, demonically drawn by Steve Ditko, and laconically lettered by Artie Samek. Uh, so this cover introduces us to this new villain named Mr. Rasputin, who is this anti-strange-looking character. He's got a long purple like outfit. He's got the longest, sharpest shirt sleeves I have ever seen. Those things can cut a diamond. Uh, and 
what he lacks in evil facial hair, he more than makes up for with villainous arching eyebrows. Those things are like they go above his head and they've got like snow on the top because they're just such steep peaks. Uh, they're seriously like perpendicular to the ground at the end. <laughs> yeah. His eyebrows are like a U shape, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And and I don't like to make sort of just uh, judgments about people based on their appearance. But when you see someone with eyebrows like that, you know they're evil. And it's really not helped at all because immediately he's just traveling the, the globe, paralyzing government officials and like stealing fiercely guarded national secrets. And even at one point, we see Mr. Rasputin uh, purposefully refuse to make good on a bribe, which just goes to show you that not only is he evil, he's also a liar. So that's wicked bad. Uh, yeah, this is bad. You know, you gotta have honor or something, right? Among thieves, not, at least. Yeah, not um, Mr. Rasputin. <laughs> that's the way he rolls. Uh, anywho, so following the completion of his intelligence gathering mission, Mr. Rasputin lands in Greenwich Village to con- contact the United Nations and primarily threaten them. But mainly, he goes to Greenwich so that he can rent a loft where he can practice magic undisturbed. Uh, Greenwich, uh, around the 1960s, was like the foremost epicenter for um, magical practice as well as sort of a cultural awakening. Um, but un- unluckily for Mr. Rasputin, Dr. Strange lives like a block away. Uh, and his <laughs> magical crystal immediately picks up on the new evil energy like, of course it's going to. <laughs> and so yeah. Strange grabs his cloak of levitation, flies over to confront whoever is doing uh, these malevolent magic in their loathsome loft. Uh, <laughs> so he lands on the balcony, demands to know who uh, is uh, performing these forbidden rites. And after a brief introduction, the two engage in magical combat. And Yeah, wizard duel, my favorite. The best kind of duel, hands down. Uh, and so... Uh, Mr. Rasputin starting, starts off by casting all these crazy spectral projections, like these, these demonic ghosts and stuff, but Strange realizes they're just illusions. He's not phased at all. Um, and even though he's still incredibly weak from his battle against Taza, um, he is effortlessly handling old Putin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rasputin can't handle it at all. At all. No, he, and he realizes it, uh, which is when he pulls out a gun on Dr. Strange, which is so good. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, and uh, Strange, realizing that he does not have enough time to conjure a defensive spell, he shouts out to Rasputin, such a device is a coward's weapon. To which Rasputin just replies, I do not claim to be a brave man, merely a successful one. Goodbye, <laughs> Dr. Strange. And then he shoots him in the chest. Like, no nonsense, <laughs> shoots Dr. Strange in the chest, and he seals his title as the greatest supervillain of all time because he doesn't make a speech or whatever. He's just like, I'm losing this. Here's a gun. Deal. Absolutely. And he further rubs it in as Dr. Strange escapes through the window. Rasputin says, leaving already, my friend? How rude of you. <laughs> just salt in the wound. He's so good. I love him. He covers all the bases. He's got, like, he's capturing secrets from, like, the government. He's mastering magic. He's got a gun, which is, like, <laughs> the coolest um, sort of yeah. <laughs> accessory you can get with any action figure. I mean, most people generally just do magic or the gun. Is is there's not a lot of overlap, right? And and you can cl- clearly tell that he's not as good at magic because he spent so much time with a gun. Um, mm-hmm. But it's sort of balanced out, and and is clearly paying dividends for him. Um, <laughs> so Strange flees out the window. He's losing a lot of blood, and he sort of commands his cloak to float him to the nearest hospital. At which point, Strange becomes 
uh, Strange falls unconscious. And the cloak of levitation just carries the unconscious Strange through a hospital window into the waiting arms of two doctors who are not phased at all by a dude who's dressed up like the craziest like mod you've ever seen. Just kind of jettison through a hospital window. They make a couple quips or whatever, but they're like, let's just get this guy to the ER. We've got a job to do. Stop wasting time. Uh, which I guess is... Yeah, but I think it's just that at this point, the entire Marvel Universe pretty much is in New York City. The Avengers are there. Uh, Spider-Man's there. Daredevil's there. Hospitals are familiar with superheroism and the effects of superheroism. And so a guy with a, with a blue and red cape flying through the window is a little bit more just like Tuesday than it would be for most normal people. Counterpoint, I just think that these are exceptionally good doctors who who see, you know, the bottom line and they're just willing to do whatever they need to, you know, first to do no harm, second, save that flying magic guy. I could go with that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so Strange, having received medical attention, wakes up a couple hours later, has a quick chat with the fuzz, and he realizes um, that Rasputin, his best hideout at this point in time, would be in Strange's own apartment. Uh, oh, I know. Squatters. <laughs> he's evil, he's a liar, and now he's got no manners. Um, so Strange creates uh, an astral projection, which he refers to as his ectoplasmic form, and he flies over and finds out, sure enough, that he's got a squatter in the Sanctum Sictorum. Uh, ah, boo. And as a total... Well, actually, I love Mr. Rasputin. I can't even pretend that he's a jerk. Um, <laughs> so... Before Strange arrives, we see Master, Mr. Rasputin, and he is enlisting the aid of a hitman to travel to the hospital to finish the job and kill Dr. Strange. And at the same time, he sort of goes on about how he is a distant relative of Grigori Rasputin. And I just got to say, I think this is really awesome for Marvel and, and fairly unique to make the character the cousin of someone famous and not just like wholly lift the character uh, for their own personal gain. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Frankenstein and Godzilla and Cleopatra. I know what's up. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're you're going to be real pissed when Doctor Strange has an extended battle with um, Dracula in about 10 years. <laughs> or in about uh, 15 episodes on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I think by that time he's probably earned one sort of like coast of a villain. <laughs> um, I, I just hope that that happens during Halloween. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do some stuff. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Strange shows up. He sees Rasputin is studying his eternal. Whoa! Did you hear that? <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the eternal books of the Vishanti. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's good. Times. And as well, he's also studying the omnipotent Ashur, uh, which could bring about Strange's own undoing. So he quickly, he sums the cloak of levitation using his eye of Agamotto. Um, all the while, the hitman enters the hospital room where the unconscious physical form of Dr. Strange rests. And as hitman, oh, no. I know, and as hitman Muggsy pulls out his gun and points it at Strange, slowly squeezes his finger on the trigger, smash cut, and we're back to Strange, commanding <laughs> his cape to cut the power to his house so that he can just jump Mr. Espy. Um, I don't understand why he's coming the power to his house because it's filled with all these giant pits of fire and so it's still fairly well lit um i think the torches are there just to provide a little bit of mood lighting but not actually let you be able to see fully <laughs> well the mood is well lit uh and strange realizes that this is sort of his opportunity so he uses his cloak of levitation to sort of make it seem like he's there standing in the shadows 
Rasputin pulls out his trusty gun and shoots the cloak again, but it just like falls to the ground and it's completely flat, sort of like uh, Obi Wan uh, in Star Wars episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Rasputin goes over and he like picks up the cloak, which it's like flat on the ground. There's nothing underneath that. I don't know what you're doing, guy. Uh, and Strange <laughs> uses this to attack him, uh, sort of in a twofold attack. One part being his physical or his physical cape trying to attack Mr. Rasputin, the other being his ectoplasmic form attacking him on the other side. But uh, <laughs> Strange real or Mr. Rasputin realizes that you know in his ectoplasmic form, Strange is not as strong. And so with one hand he cloak at bay, and with the other hand he starts to force Spirit of Strange into limbo and. It looks so cool as he's like falling into this void uh, and all yeah. these magic abilities and like Stranger's apartment is just so good for like magic battle backgrounds because it's got all this weird stuff going on and they don't really need to like call out any like reasoning as to why it's there. Like, of course, he's got a giant orb that's floating that looks like the earth <laughs> that's on fire. Yeah, it's just how absolutely. How um, so he's got a bunch of braziers. He's got like a crystal globe that shows him where trouble spots are. He's got a lot going on. Exactly. Um, so as strange is falling into limbo, quickly summons a magic eye to go and hypnotize Mr. Rasputin, which doesn't work like at all, but it breaks his concentration momentarily. And the cloak of levitation is able to bind and start suffocating Mr. Rasputin. Yes. Cloak attack. <laughs> Top three to best attacks there are. Uh, so at this point, Raz is trying to like barter with Strange, but no dice, man. Strange is the hero of this comic, and he's not going to be persuaded by this loser's like petty attempts for like uh, uh, a deal. So <laughs> now Putin falls falls unconscious, and Strange, with his cloak of levitation and the unconscious body of Mister Rasputin, they all hurry back to the hospital while Strange worries about the danger of leaving his body unguarded, you know, like potentially getting shot by our hired thug. Um, but he has no reason to worry because Strange's mystic amulet has frozen the consciousness of Muggsy, having sensed his murderous thoughts. So <laughs> Strange just wipes Mr. Rasputin's mind of all of the magic, and then he forces Raz and Muggsy confess their sins and turn themselves into the... And thus, the day is saved, thanks to Stephen Strange and his ability to steal and edit human memories. <laughs> yeah, although I appreciate that at least he's editing out their minds and allowing, and then having them be arrested and like put in jail and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. So, <laughs> I don't know how much of that is like free will or just he's convinced them it's the right thing to do. But when you got a hero yeah. who's got a gun, you definitely want to get them locked up. Yeah, well, I mean, so often. He brainwashes these guys and then just releases them on their own recognizance. <laughs> and then they come back, like, right away. Well, I'm, hopefully he's learned his lesson for good with the villainous <laughs> Mr. Rasputin, but I doubt it. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, Rasputin will show up as a, in, a, in a ghost form, kind of, in Defenders number one, in Giant Size Defenders number one in July 1974. And then he'll be back all the way in a cloak and dagger adventure in 1988. And then he'll be back again in a movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. I hope. Oh, I hope. <laughs> I mean, you know, they got, they, they got a roster of foes, you know? Who knows? You know what? They don't even have to have Mr. Rasputin in the movie, but as long as they have his gun, then I'm going to be happy. I'm sure we can say that at least one of the guns in there is Mr. Rasputin's gun. Yeah, everyone keep an eye out for his gun. <laughs> 
All right, so let's go to Strange Tales number 146 from July 1966. Please. All right. So in between this last issue and this issue, um, apparently uh, Captain America has uncovered an evil force known as them. And now Nick Fury and the boys from S.H.I.E.L.D. are attacking the them base. And let me just say them is a terrible name for... Super villains. The worst. It reminds me of like when they were making Atari games and there was like no competition, so you could just name it whatever. Like, oh, we'll call our game hockey, and there's going to be no one to worry about. Like, yeah. We'll name our organization them because like we're the third organization to ever be made. <laughs> and anyhow, this is like it's kind of complicated, just what's going on with all the them stuff. But the important thing is that it's time to assault this base using scuba diver suits. <laughs> so they assault the base. They fight a bunch of androids or robots or something there's underwater shark man robots and then air breathing giant yellow robots with long white hair and stuff it's weird man there's all these androids (laughs) and we first and we finally see or we realize that at least this them base is being run by aim advanced idea mechanics and they have these really distinctive aim uniforms that we'll see again and again throughout the marvel universe they're basically yellow jumpsuits with these yellow cylinder hats that are sort of half cylinders and half uh, beekeeper I was going to say, they're like radioactive keepers. Yeah. Um, at the same time, in the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, we see the head of AIM, who they make a big deal, has a really ridiculous, like, Euro-trash name. He's, um... Count Borgnog Royal? Yeah. <laughs> the craziest name ever. And the Count's big thing is that he's trying to discredit Fury by basically saying Fury is like a super violent oaf and not a a, uh, charming and refined man of the world like the men of AIM, basically. (laughs) Plus, like, he doesn't shave at all. He's wearing... Yeah, he's often... He often has five o'clock shadows, wears his shirt sleeves, things like that. (laughs) He's a true monster. It's exactly, <laughs> and that's basically it. the The shield guys take down the them base and realize that part of them might be AIM. And if AIM's currently making a presentation to Shield, then that means that they might have an enemy within. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but we'll resolve it next issue. I hope. <laughs> so the Doctor Strange story is called "The End at Last," <laughs> edited by and the Enchanted Stan Lee. Penciled and inked by the prestidigitator Steve Ditko. Scripted by the sorcerer Dennis O'Neill. Lettered by the letterer Artie Simek. <laughs> Never and, forget Artie Simek. He's the greatest. No, man. Him and Sam Rosen are the top, are, I think the only letterers for Marvel at this point, and will be for a couple more years. They're the only letterers and we need. They're definitely doing the Lord's work. <laughs> this, is, this, t- this issue is humorously titled because it's the end at last, and it's also Steve Ditko's last um, issue. We all know what he's doing. It's true. So we open with the Dread Door Mamu stewing on his throne. He's still super angry that he's been beaten by Doctor Strange and now can't mess with Earth in any way. But he figures out a plan. He quickly heads over to the dimension that is the home of Eternity and cages Eternity in its dormant state. Then Dormammu summons Strange by making Strange's amulet suddenly grow into a big portal just on the streets of New York City. (laughs) Strange disappears into the amulet and finds that he's been ambushed by Dormammu, who now finally is not holding back and 
will probably be able to destroy destroy Doctor Strange out of hand. Yeah, sure you are, Dom. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to tell because as Dormammu lowers the boom, eternity comes back. He was not very well caged by Dormammu's plot. Man, I just got to take a second and say, Eternity is so cool. He reminds me of, like, the art from the original, like, Sandman comics, where it's all about sort of, like, uh, abstract and, like, exploring, like, what dreams are and stuff. And so this character that's made up of the endless void of space is just so fantastic. Yeah, he's basically just a, a starscape that has been cut out in, like, the <laughs> shape of a guy with big sleeves and horns. Yeah, serious. It's it's so rad. He's got like a crazy horns. You can only see like um like a half moon of his face at most. Um, yeah. And and just everything that's going on inside his uh, essence. Uh, I really am yeah. so down with. Yeah. It's just all stars and big Saturns and moons and asteroid belts and stuff. Wait, when when um Captain America says stars and garters, is he referring to eternity? <sighs> I mean, he's not not. Referring to Eternity, I think. <laughs> but so, when D- Eternity shows up to break up the fight between Dormammu and Strange, Dormammu gets really angry and basically just starts yelling at Eternity along the lines of like, you're not my real dad, you're not my boss, etc. You can't really say that, though, if you think about how we're all space dust. Yeah, no, Carl Sagan has some counter-arguments. <laughs> about the whole Dormammu heritage thing? Yeah. yeah. Don't and get I think. Started. And I think Eternity has some counter-arguments, too, about whether he's Dormammu's boss, because <laughs> Eternity's basically like, nah, I'm in charge, and uh, do what I say. <laughs> and Dormammu is super angry, and he goes to fight Eternity. Like and he fights him by just sort of jumping inside of Eternity, yeah. like into that starscape. Inside to the outside. Yeah. <laughs> and things look really bad until suddenly, inside the starscape of Eternity, these two moons, like... These two moons smash into each other with Dormammu in between them. And in the explosion, both Eternity and Dormammu seem to be destroyed. I'm pretty sure they're gone for good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Anyhow, barely escaping the explosion, Strange is saved by the Ancient One, and together they free everyone that Dormammu has has banished, including the evil Baron Mordo and the lovely Clea, whose name we finally canonically learn. All right, two years in. Yes, about time. <laughs> so Mordo is re-imprisoned, and Strange returns to our world as both he and Steve Ditko walk off into the sunset. <laughs> kind of feel bad for Mordo if he wasn't such a, you know, jerk. Now, that guy's super evil. You can feel good about not liking Dormammu. That's a low-calorie hatred. <laughs> All right, so let's go on to Strange Tales number 147 from August 1966. I'd be, happily, uh, I'd be happy to. This issue kicks off with the S.H.I.E.L.D. story, The Enemy Within, probably referring to AIM. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts off with everyone coming back from their submarine mission. They're just hanging out in the sub, smoking cigars, celebrating like you do. While um, Count Royal of AIM is on S.H.I.E.L.D. carrier, and he's really, really pissed at Nick Fury um, because they have confiscated his prototype miniature missile that he was going to fire at a prototype S.H.I.E.L.D. generator on the carrier to show off his S.H.I.E.L.D. generator tech. Um, and but it's ridiculous because it was like it's a real missile. Yeah, it's a legit <laughs> it's missile. It's just small. Yeah, so Fury <laughs> confiscates it like yeah, 
<laughs> because they don't want him firing a missile on their carrier. And the- just for general safety reasons. Yeah. Uh, and so Count Royal just has a whole hissy fit and tattles on Fury, gets him in a whole heap of trouble. And uh, while Fury is getting chewed up by top brass for, like, not shaving and, you know, not sharing the missiles and stuff like that, Count <laughs> Royal just sneaks off the flying shield carrier to his secret them base, which I don't know how he did that, but he did it really quickly. Um, and Count Royal begins to enact his plan to take over a secret shield barbershop using the extras from Weird Al's Dare to be Stupid music video. Um, (laughs) Now, the whole deal with this trap was supposed to be that, like, Fury can't leave the carrier because he's in charge and he'll get in trouble if he does, but people are in danger, so, like, being drawn to, like, go save them, but, like, it doesn't... and all the uh, all the red shirt shield agents are on furlough after the scuba scuba diving thing. That's important to mention. Exactly. Yes. So, but it doesn't really matter. Fury's like, I don't care if I get in trouble. Uh, it's not going to like change how awesome I am. So, absolutely. Him and Dugan and Sitwell, they all like hop in like a, an air jet. Uh, meanwhile, in the barbershop, this barbershop chair just explodes and hits one of the members of Devo. Like. And knock them unconscious, and they pop out of the ground, which I just want to take a second and say, like, they're flying in the air on a carrier, and they come out from a tube underground. I mean, I'm going to cut them some slack, because I've seen the shield tech, but that's just kind of weird. No, man, they took the they took the ship from the helicarrier through the extensive and gigantic underground sewer system of New York <laughs> and came up through the uh, through the basement of S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. <laughs> like, don't underestimate how much space there is in the underworld of New York City. There's been at least five civili- full civilizations <laughs> that I can think of that um, live in the New York... live in the New York's... Uh, in the tunnels underneath New York and currently live there. There's a lot. Yeah, they have a uh, fierce problem with, like, mole people in New York. Mole people, Morlocks, um, evil bases. I think in the first issue of Fantastic Four, they used the sewers to get to Monster Island. (laughs) There's a lot going on down there. Man, I gotta check that out. Uh, It's crazy. uh, So, anywho, the Dum Dum Dugan... Jasper Sitwell and Nick Fury all burst out of the floor and just start wailing on people. And this team is just incredible. Like Sitwell is like melting people's faces off with like warm washcloths and like (laughs) Dum Dum Dugan, like he gets stabbed in the head, uh, but it doesn't work because he's wearing a steel skull cap, uh, which is first of all wicked. And second of all, he like laughs at them for like not wearing a steel skull cap under his bowler cap. Um, Also, it's at this point that uh, Dugan mentions that he's a member of the James Bond Club, and I just want to say that this is the point where the similarities between me and Dugan just grow even stronger. Um, you remember the James Bond Club? Oh, yeah, totally. And we're both okay. Wizaroot. Uh, ah, that's true. <laughs> uh, and so they're handily taking care of all of these them members, uh, and in a desperate uh, effort, one of the final members unleashes a vibration blast that just takes out all three of them. Uh, but Nick Fury is able to fight through the pain and he hurls a stun grenade at the enemies and this team wins uh, and they become 
a little less awesome than I thought they were previous following a page of attempted comic relief through the use of rampant misogyny. <laughs> yeah, they they sexually harass one of the uh, female sh- a female shield agent that's working as a uh, as a manicurist at the barbershop. Yeah, and and they, they tries to pull laughs and it just doesn't work. And it kind of like detracts <laughs> from the entire experience. Uh, but we get through it because now we're at Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts in from the nameless nowhere comes Kalu. Script pages one through five by Stanley, our smiling sorcerer. And then he dips out. And then script pages six through ten are by Dennis O'Neill, our sorcerer's apprentice. The art, Bill Everett, our peerless prestidigitator. The lettering, Sam Rosen, our naive necromancer. And amulet polisher is Irv Forbrush, our stowaway. Yeah. For maybe like a six-month period in these Marvel comics, like the credits always had a reference to Forbrush, either as a joke credit or as some extra thing. And it's very weird, and I feel like it's a reference to some other thing going on that I can't, I haven't managed to figure out. Yeah, I like, I, but, I did some research, and I saw that there's a character named Forbrush. He's got like a bucket on his head, and he's got the ability to just like kill everyone. Um, <laughs> but he he doesn't even come about until later, so I don't even know. Yeah. How this started. Um, I'm assuming it's an anagram for Stanley is cool. Um, Certainly possible. <laughs> also, uh, before you start, I want to mention that um, in my research, I found out something I thought that was interesting about our new artist for Doctor Strange, Bill Everett, is that he is one of the creators of Namor, the Submariner, back in like the 40s, and that him getting the job on Doctor Strange is part of a payoff to him to not sue for the copyright to Namor, which was coming up in 1966. <laughs> That's a pretty good get, though. I'd be happy to work on Strange. Yeah, it's fun. It's just, you know, like this and like a couple like loans he didn't have to pay back, what <laughs> kept him from, like, was just like hush money, so he didn't sue about control of the copyright <laughs> of Namor, which I thought was pretty interesting. Seems like it worked, though, because I didn't know yeah. about any of that. Absolutely worked. Um, and I just got to say, this comic kicks it off to the tens. We start off with Doctor Strange going shopping, and it is awesome. Uh, even made, made uh, more so by the fact that he's still in like his wizard garb. Uh, he's got like full wiz- yeah. yeah, he's a full wizard garb. He's got his, he's got a cloak on. He's got like he he's in this like weird like dandy lad outfit. And- yeah, strangely, it's not his cloak of levitation. It's just a different red cloak. It's just like his day cloak or something like that. <laughs> it's his strolling about town cloak. Uh, yeah. And everyone's looking at him, and they're talking about either how rad he is or how weird he is, but either way, they're totally right. Um, so Strange starts supporting some local businesses uh, when, all of a sudden, two rapscallions just burst in and attempt to rob the joint. Um, and it's totally fine, though. Strange, with like the wave of his hand, he just sends them to an illusory nightmare hellscape, which uh, <laughs> convinces them to turn themselves into some policemen who just happen to be patrolling by. And that whole episode is or that whole segment is wrapped up really neatly and so strange heads back to his apartment where we meet his assistant wong who is super duper not cool marvel i know you're listening to this <laughs> like they've got him saying stuff like oh a thousand pardons uh when he's telling strange stuff like strange is too broke to afford to pay for his grocery bill uh and i gotta say like strange hey Maybe you could afford to pay for your food if you didn't spend so, spend so much time like renting the like, mansions and hiring like insulting stereotypes. Uh, I mean, I, I guess 
this might be just the low expectations that I have, but I, f- I almost feel like giving them points or trying to counter-argue just because while Wong is certainly a stereotype and his profession is manservant, uh, I'm just glad that like he speaks in complete sentences and is, doesn't have some kind of terrible phonetic accent you know he's not he doesn't talk like uh mickey rooney in breakfast at tiffany's or something like that you know yeah i'm I'm grateful for that and we could i mean we can agree that he's he could be worse but he's definitely yeah. not good he's yeah he, he could be he could be worse but he could also be way be way better yeah and and as like as though that wasn't weird enough things just get way weirder so we find out that strange is like way broker than we thought he was he's barely making rent and then these building inspectors like show up and they tell Strange that his building's going to be condemned unless he has it brought up to code, which it is super not up to code. There's like giant pits. There's huge flaming torches everywhere. His entire roof is like a skylight. Uh, and, you know, honestly, like Strange just rents it. They probably should just be talking to his landlord, but whatever. <laughs> um, so... So now Strange has a whole bunch of work to do because he's like super duper busy. Um, but first and foremost, he's got to call up Mordo. He's got to make sure that that dude's still in Azkaban. But absolutely, but mainly he's just calling him to gloat, and we all know that. Um, Gloating is very important when you're the Sorcerer Supreme or just like the Master of Mystic Arts. Yeah, I'll cut him some it's, slack. He definitely is. Arts it's twenty percent gloating. That's the job. <laughs> yeah. Which is why he signed up, I hear. Uh, <laughs> but so then on top of that, after he's finished, you know, checking in on Mordo, he creates like an image of Clea, Clea, mm-hmm. Clea. He creates an image of Clea and just reminisces about their adventures together for a bit. Uh, and then after that, he's got a bunch of work to do and it's super important. All of existence until he can discover what has become of the Dread Dormammu. Uh, and it's kind of around this point that I realized that this is like the first comic book I've ever read. That's like also a clip show. Yeah. It's, um, during the Cleo part is where Dennis O'Neill starts taking over as the writer. And he basically just recaps the last two episodes of this show. Yeah. And I mean, I'll cut him some <laughs> in the course of the comics. Yeah. I'll cut him some slack too, because like we are reading these like back to back, but they were released, you know, monthly or biweekly and stuff. Meh. <laughs> Never mind. Move it forward. That's what I say. Uh, anywho, so super important. He needs to find out what has become of the Dread Dormammu and Eternity. But he's not powerful enough, so I guess all of humanity can just like hang out for a second. Uh, and Strange calls up his talent agent to try and find some work because uh, he's super broke. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's there's no jobs for a magician right now, and it doesn't matter because he's cut off when he's contacted by the venerated Ancient One who appears to warn Strange that Kalu, the adversarial equal of the Ancient One, has freed himself. Sadly, he is too late, and we watch as the Book of Vashanti melts into nothingness before their very eyes. Uh-oh. Uh, seeing this, the Ancient One actually feels that this is the best time to kind of, like, stop everything and tell Strange the history of Kalu. Uh, all the while, the eyes of Kalu peer in from the darkness through an open window. Oh, no. Yeah. And with that, 147 comes to a close. All right, and we move on to Strange Tales number 148 from September 1966. Um, so the Shield Tale is kind of weird. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it spends yeah more so. <laughs> it's it spends a lot of time with Nick Fury being caught in a big fire, and then Dum Dum Dugan trying to get Nick Fury to safety, 
and a lot of um, don't you die on me, damn it, type things <laughs> from Dugan over Nick Fury's body. But then it turns out that the whole time it was an LMD. It was a life model decoy robot pretending to be Nick Fury. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. So, I was so scared. That was just like a waste, I guess. Right. Oh, man. I think that those decoys are more uh, detrimental than they are beneficial. It's true. But so we learn that S.H.I.E.L.D. is being bugged and Nick Fury has been charged to sit in front of a board of inquiry for basically the internal campaign Ames been running to say that Nick Fury is too much of a brute to run <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so they use – there's a lot uh, – a couple things happen, but they use the bugs to make them call Sitwell as the star witness against Fury, but instead Sitwell – has nothing but nice things to say about Fury. <laughs> and the trial seems to be going pretty well, actually, until Nick Fury freaks out and jumps out the window of the helicarrier. <laughs> and everyone assumes he's just dead, like he just committed suicide for no reason. Yeah. But in fact, he had a belt chute on, a parachute built into his uh, belt. Yeah, he's got the craziest clothing. Like, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but like every piece of his clothing either like explodes or is bulletproof or what yeah. have you. I mean, in the previous fight against the Druid, he wrapped his hands in his shirt to protect himself from the Druid's armor. Yeah. But you got to remember that that shirt will explode if you would put fire on it. That is an exploding shirt. <laughs> Thank goodness he didn't punch him as hard as he can. It's true. Anyhow, um, when Nick Fury lands, Dum Dum Dugan picks him up and they ride off to take out AIM. And that takes us to the Doctor Strange story, the origin of the Ancient One, magical editing by Stan Lee, mystic script by Denny O'Neill, mysterious art by Bill Everett, makeshift lettering by Artie Simek. Okay, so like we said, the Book of the Vishanti has been stolen by the Ancient One's old school chum, Kalu. What's the deal with Kalu? And with the Ancient One, for that matter. So we find out that the Ancient One is from this place called Kamartaj in the Himalayas 500 years ago. There, the young Ancient One, I don't know, maybe he was the, just the one then? They aren't clear about what his name <laughs> is at this point. Um, but the Ancient One and Kalu were study buddies, reading ancient mystical texts and so on. The Ancient One always kept his nose in a book, but Kal and Kalu used the magic to become the ruler of the land and hypnotize the townsfolk into carrying him around on a chair, as you do. Eventually, Kalu turned the Ancient One into a statue and armed the people of Kamartaj for war with magic weapons. Meanwhile, we see in modern times that Kalu is reading the Book of the Vishanti, but he can't comprehend it, so he banishes it back through time where the Ancient One and Doctor Strange will never find it. Uh, back in the past, the Camartage have conquered a bunch of nearby villages and are now getting fat and lazy with their winnings. <laughs> At this time, the, the statuified Ancient One curses Kalu and inadvertently the Camartage as a whole. The curse starts to take effect. People start dying and losing their magical blessings and stuff. Kalu flees and is seemingly trapped in a, in a distant dimension. Until the aftermath of the Dormammu Eternity Conflict freed him. And now Kalu is on the prowl and we're in trouble. Which takes us to Strange Tales number 149 from October 1966. Duncan. Yes, we kick it off with the end of AIM. 
Um, so in the very beginning of this comic, we see Mark Mothersburg and the rest of the members of Devo have infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and they have kidnapped a Nick Fury robo clone. Um, and it really just goes super poorly for them because it turns out that they have been duped and it's the real Nick Fury who's hiding out in a clone pod with a gun uh, and he just starts to kill all of the members of Devo. He's oh no, he's shooting them. He's using his pod to like beat other members of Devo. And uh, even my my favorite part about this issue is uh, at one point they one of the guys, the last guy of them, starts making a speech about he alone is going to take down Fury. And then Fury thinks to himself, calling him the Jasper Sitwell of AIM which I think is so fantastic that he's using Sitwell's name as like an insult now. <laughs> um, and um, meanwhile, they cut back to the shield carrier. Uh, Count Royal has fleed seeing Nick Fury jump out the window and assuming that, you know, all of his plan is going perfectly and now AIM can like fully take over. Um, right. But turns out that it was all sort of set up on purpose to lure out Count Royal Um Jasper Sitwell tells all of the commanding officers who are still on the carrier about what went down, and then he chases after Count Royal to a secret cavernous base equipped with a full fake boulder door like he got to. Mm-hmm. Um, and before Sitwell can fully like reach uh, Count Royal, the base explodes. Um, and uh, Sitwell reports it in. We get back to Fury, and he's at the HQ with, with Dugan, and then Gabe Jones shows up, and he informs them uh, that AIM and the Secret Empire are apparently members of a larger larger organization, which makes Fury realize, you know, something deeper is going on. So he goes, checks out the Hydra files in their museum, which at one point, a laser just comes out of nowhere and strikes Fury in his clothing, which is really unfortunate because today he happens to be wearing his Stark brand exploding threads. Yeah, yeah, it activates the exploding shirt I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, which, like, <laughs> why would you wear that? That doesn't make any sense. It seems so detrimental to your own safety. It made sense at the time, I can assure you. I mean, it definitely helped with, like, moving the story along. So he stuffs his shirt into an air vent, everyone survives, and now they are more dedicated to take on Hydra than ever. Yeah, they realize that them is Hydra. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that leads us to Doctor Strange. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before you go on, there's something. I want to say two things about this S.H.I.E.L.D. story. So one is that they go to this big vault of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, and while looking at all of their gear and equipment, we see that Dum Dum Dugan has two pairs of the skateboards from the skateboard unit A and B that we saw last last episode, which is the best. I'm so sad I missed that, because I, like, was so inspired, and I was doing research, and I was checking out skateboard unit A and B, and, like, the skateboards that they have were drawn by someone who was like told about what skateboards looked like in the 1960s yeah. and then just kind of did the best, like whatever. There's like a couple wheels and then like a square. I'm done. It's really, it's real bad. Yeah. But the other thing is that, um, so apparently there's a tie in story to this in uh, tales of suspense with captain America, where Gabe Jones is there taking down the secret empire. Um, both the bad guys here who are, uh, who are shoot-offs, shoot, shoot-offs of Hydra, AIM, and the Secret Empire will show up pretty frequently in Marvel. Um, but the Secret Empire is especially pretty fun because eventually we'll find out that the head of the Secret Empire is Richard Nixon. Oh my gosh. 
And um, Captain America will find this out by tracking the head of the Secret Empire to the Oval Office of the White House, <laughs> where 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 the president currently Richard Nixon is sitting. And upon being revealed by Captain America, the head of the Secret Empire, who again off screen, but clearly the president and thus Richard Nixon will kill himself. Oh, He'll shoot himself in the head. Okay. That's rough. I mean, I understand people weren't cool with that guy back then, but... I mean, it was right around when Watergate was happening. Yeah. Or, or, or like, when Nixon... And when Nixon actually resigned. But so it means that instead of a president resigning in disgrace, like in our world, um, instead, Nixon uh, committed suicide when it was revealed that he was the head of a supervillain organization by Captain America. That... You know, they kill so many people in these comics, but, like, when you do it to, like, a real dude, it kind of gives me it's pause. It's wait, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, anyhow, that's just a, just a little factoid that I happen to know about the Secret Empire that's pretty excellent. Yeah, you hear that, everyone out there? Don't get too attached to the Richard Nixon character in Marvel. It's not going to turn out well. Uh, we, won't, we won't see him in Doctor Strange anymore. That's how it goes. All right, sorry. So, sorry. moving on. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, in If Kalu Should Triumph. Uh, editing by Stan Lee. Writing by Dennis O'Neill. Art by Bill Everett. Lettering by Sam Rosen. And technical advice by the Forbush family ghost. Because why not? Uh, <laughs> so, this comic, again... Strange comics are so good because they just started off with action or shopping sprees like right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> and so it starts off with Stephen Strange and the Ancient One having to combine their efforts to free themselves. Um, and the Ancient One tells Strange that he must remain in his apartment to draw upon the power of the Sanctum Sanctorum. Otherwise, he would be no match for the villainous Kalu. Um with this information, Strange just kind of opens a window and starts sending laser blasts out there to try and hit Kalu. Uh, yeah, and Kalu's just like on the street. Yeah, he's just on the street, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but it doesn't even... Uh, Strange's laser blasts are totally in vain because the entire Sanctum Sanctorum is encased in an ectoplasmic shield. Uh, and at the whim of Kalu, Strange and the Ancient One are beset upon by all manner of mystic which all look really cool, except for this, like, snake that they try and sneak in in the bottom left panel. Like, that's just a snake. Like, they try and give it, like, a foot or whatever, but I'm not buying it. Hey, so something weird that's going on throughout this issue and throughout this storyline, actually, is that the Ancient One is sitting on this magic carpet, right? He's not sitting. He's, like, half... But half the, half the time, the magic carpet is going through his torso. Like, he's halfway through the magic carpet. Yeah, yeah, it was... I don't know why. No one, no one discusses it. <laughs> it's it's an art choice they've clearly made because sometimes he is sitting on it, and sometimes it's just the ancient one's upper torso with this carpet around it. <laughs> it's very weird. It is super weird, uh, and there's there's no explanation for it. So it must have been on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the ancient one orders to Strange to remain on the defensive for fear of an increased attack from Kalu. Which doesn't make sense because he's like already attacking them. He's going to try and kill them either way. Um, but Strange realizes that the attacks are overwhelming and slowly killing his master. So Strange disobeys his master, retaliates against the demon horde, and gets a magic potion to save his master's life. Uh, following his daring, Strange enters his ectoplasmic form in an attempt to get help. But sadly, his incorporeal state is still trapped in in his apartment. Um, yeah. Kalu was waiting for him to do this. He planned ahead. Um, and so Strange now realizes that he must take on the enemy horde head on. Uh, 
So first, he attempts to use his cloak of levitation to capture the monsters, but that doesn't work. They just seem to pass through the cape's grasp without any effort. And so finally, he starts resorting to unleashing blasts of energy from his eye of Agamato. Um, and once and for all, he's able to keep the beasts at bay. Um, but while this is all going down, Kalu, as you mentioned, is just standing outside, like casting magic on the streets. When like two random kids walk past and they call the cops on Kalu because he's like super creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's basically like you were saying with Dr. Orpheus, where no one can see these magical abilities. It's <laughs> this dude, like, in white and red, with crazy eyebrows, Yelling and a widow's, <laughs> who's completely bald except for a widow's peak, like a V-shaped widow's peak that probably starts, like, at the base of his neck on the back of his head, and is a, just a thin triangle that goes right down to the bridge of his nose, yeah, with the Fu Manchu mustache and goatee. Colors in a great, like, red and white outfit. He looks like a, a main bad guy from, like, a Power Rangers episode. Totally. Um, and he's just, like, standing on the street, like, waggling his fingers at this house. Yeah, he's super weird. Um, so the kids call the cops on this guy, and the cops, as, like, a big group, they begin to approach Kalu, but he just, like, freezes them. And uh, one of the cops even exclaims, Holy Toledo, I can't move a muscle, which I think is a great Buckaroo Banzai reference. Um, or w- w- one, w- one direction or the other, for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, also, Kalu may be freezing the cops, but he's not mind-wiping anyone, so he's really just mad at for being in prison for 500 years, and I kind of understand where he's coming from. Shots fired. (laughs) Uh, So Kalu, seemingly growing tired of this ordeal, he unleashes his final attack, an attack that embodies all of his, and one that has the ability to turn emotion pure burning energy. You watch as it races through this house, causing explosions to happen everywhere. Uh, And with that, Kalu senses that his work is finished and he enters the Sanctum Sanctorum to inspect the defeated bodies of Strange and the Ancient One, but all he finds is empty, and that's really poignant if you think about it for a second. Um, Whoa. <laughs> and so Kalu, unable to find any trace of the Ancient One or Strange, just gets enraged by their apparent escape, and the comic comes to a close with this final quote as Kalu stands trembling, his eyes wide, his mind struggling to understand his failure. Two tiny candles flicker unnoticed in a dim corner, which probably doesn't have to do anything with anything, but we will find out in The Conquest of Kalu. Yeah, in Strange Tales number 150 from from November 1966. Okay, so with AIM destroyed, it's time for a new story in S.H.I.E.L.D. Hydra lives. (laughs) And we started off with the introduction of a new weapon, called the Overkill Horn. Oh, no! Yeah, the idea of the Overkill Horn. It overkills. (laughs) But the basic idea is that if you shoot the Overkill Horn at a nuclear weapon, it'll detonate it instantly. And so we see them doing this at a test site, but as they do it, they also also test it on Nick Fury, who (laughs) is sitting in, like, in front of the barrel of the Overkill Horn in this big giant metal straight jacket of protective of protective gear <laughs> basically for reasons like it's not really clear why they have to test it by having a member of shield withstand the blast it doesn't make sense Maybe at all and every and like robots and now they're on people yeah but like why does it have to be like a member of shield <laughs> i don't know but basically it means that nick fury is confined to a wheelchair when he receives a video invitation to a party 
from the mysterious Don Caballero, oh the richest man south of the border and leader of the jet set. <laughs> it's so good. Like, it's basically, he's in this, like, he just, it's just this infomercial by Don Caballero, who's a Spanish, who's like, you know, uh, a Hispanic dude of some kind, wears a purple suit, got a bright yellow frilly shirt. He shows off how rich he is. Yo, he, can, he has the money to afford to pay for frills. It's true. Um, and he invites Fury to a trap, I mean, a lavish party in the <laughs> ruins of the ancient city of Carnopolis. And then after we watch this video, we see a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent investigating Carnopolis in a white tie and dinner jacket <laughs> before he is zapped to death by a giant robot statue. And Don Caballero is revealed to be the new head of Hydra. Oh and what? yeah, and then after a big explosion, it's clear that Hydra has their own overkill horn. <laughs> so Fury has to go to Carnopolis to get answers. And maybe he will. Yeah, we'll see next issue. But until then, it's the conquest of Kalu. Yeah. The weird thing is that this issue is the conquest of Kalu. Like the interior cover is the conquest of Kalu. But the cover is um, it says "Exit Kalu, Enter Umar," which seems pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, I hate it when they do that. For this and they're, story, when they're like, "Oh, so and so will die next episode," like, but and like that's the big thing about a ton of issues in this section is that the thing that they say like to read this issue for happens on the last page. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but anyhow, the conquest of Kalu, gloriously edited by Stan Lee. Grand eloquently scripted by Roy Thomas, gorgeously drawn by Wild Bill Everett, grudgingly lettered by Artie Simek. <laughs> okay, so Kalu has broken into the Sanctum Sanctorum of Doctor Strange and the Ancient One, and they're nowhere to be found, like we said last time. Mm -hmm. This is until, at least, Kalu sees the two candles in the corner. Now, we'll all remember to episode two of this podcast, where Doctor Strange went back in used a candle to go back in time to free Cleopatra and defeat the evil sorcerer Zota. <laughs> Candles are powerful. Yeah. So Kalu figures out that this is what's happening. and that, But that he's good because when the candles go out, Doctor Strange and the Ancient One will be lost in the past forever. But instead, our guys aren't traveling in the past. They're traveling through distant dimensions in the past. Totally different. To, yeah. Absolutely different. To, and they're going to recover the Book of the Vishanti that Kalu previously banished back in time. To do this, the Ancient One has to fight a griffin. <laughs> you got to earn it. Which it, yeah, well, because I guess like these, they're Babel, like the Book of the Vishanti was written by Babylonians, and their symbol is the griffin or something. But it's just kind of weird because we see all these weird, all these abstract villains and stuff, demons and whatnot. And while a griffin is obviously a, myth, a mythical beast, you know, like the front half is an eagle and the back half is a lion or whatever, it just kind of seems like a mundane magical beast in comparison to things that are blobs or crazy manimals or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of hard when you do such a, a great job creating all these weird and, and uh, never-before-seen creatures, and then you kind of just, like, dip in and pull out something from another uh, completely different... Uh, mythology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's weird. But so they beat the Griffin. They recover the book, and Strange uses it in the showdown with Kalu. He basically holds the book in front of him, and that reflects Kalu's magic back at him. So Kalu is hit by a more, by his own deadly magic bolt, 
and um the and the ancient one banishes him beyond time and space forever. And the footnote here is a real jerk because <laughs> it says it says that he'll be banished to, uh, he'll be banished to limbo to the end of time or at least till we decide what to do with him. Sneaky Stan. That's the pits. I got to say though, personally speaking of being a jerk, you know what wouldn't have been reflected by a book? A gun. Mm. It's true. <laughs> and uh, Kalu actually will return. He'll team up with Doctor Strange in the 80s. And like two years ago, he came back and he was actually an, a member of the Mighty Avengers, like full on. Whoa. Like he got the, the, the villain reformation. <laughs> Anyhow, meanwhile, um, in the Dark Dimension, uh, Dormammu's gone. And we'll all remember that the big thing about, about Dormammu is that he keeps the mindless ones at bay these big monsters that are constantly threatening the dark dimension. And with him gone, everybody's in trouble. Like it's very, it's a very dangerous as the as the mindless ones attack the dark dimension. Clea tries to contact Dr. Strange, but Dr. Strange busy with this Kalu Mishigas. Yep. But suddenly the mindless ones are restrained because they've evolved. Nah, the mighty, they're restrained by the mighty form of Umar, the unrelenting, Dormammu's sister. She is rad, by the way. I really like this yeah. character. Yeah, she's got unlike Dormammu, who's basically a big muscle dude with a with a with a flame head. Mm-hmm. Um, Umar's kind of a regular, a fairly regular looking lady. She's got a green dress, and at the end of this issue, she like uh, folds her arms up, and she's got really she's been spending some time at the curling rack or something. She's got some awesome arm muscles, <laughs> and she banishes the mindless ones and is like, "Hey, I'm Umar, and I'm in, I'm in control, and everyone else can bite it." <laughs> and that's the end of the issue. Super good. All right, so Strange Tales, number 151, December 1966. Duncan. The Moment of Overkill is the name of this S.H.I.E.L.D. issue. This one starts off with Nick Fury in this, I I really just got to say, right out of the gate, I love the art in this strange one. It's got this really cool juxtaposition of these old dilapidated, like, Egyptian temples and all this, like, Mm -hmm. 1960s technology that feels like it's just been ripped out of Tomorrowland from, like, Disneyland. Yeah. It's so awesome. Um, so Nick Fury is exploring and uh, trying to find the Hydra base when all of a sudden these giant stone golems just like jump out at him and spray like nerve toxin at him from their fingertips. And Nick Fury even says he can feel it deadening his brain, which is like, oh, uh, no. Um, so Nick Fury gets kidnapped by Don Caballero and um, is about to be sacrificed uh, to really send the message to both Hydra members as well as shield um when he decides to fight back which i'm glad he did because he beats up all the goons he steals their guns shoots a bunch of hydra people and then hijacks a hydra plane and hightails it back for the shield carrier uh oh that's real good luck for him yeah everything worked out super great turns out though that all of the bullets he was firing were uh blanks and no one died and they let him steal that plane because one of the engines on the plane is actually the overkill horn itself. Oh no. I know. And it's made even worse by the fact that, um, the faster he flies towards the shield carrier, uh, the more vibration he creates. So essentially shield or fury will be his own undoing. And it just so happens that the radio is busted. So he can't even like tell Sitwell that he's commandeered the hydroplane. So now Sitwell thinks that this hydroplane is flying at them. And technically, it really is, and 
Fury yeah. can't tell him that it's him. And on top of that, because he's like so panicked, he starts flying faster and starts generating more sonic waves. Um, yeah, the uh, the plane is basically the bus from Speed at this point. Yeah, yeah. If the if the bomb was powered by Speed. <laughs> um, but now cutting through that, we are at. Oh wait, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again as I always do. No, no, no. It's always <laughs> um, insightful. Yeah, so. The big thing about this issue is that it's the first issue by Jim Steranko. He's the artist. He's like he's basically just inking at this point. He's inking um, Jet, Jet, Jack Kirby's layouts, but he'll start um, doing both the art and the writing for uh, Agent of Shield. And it's a really actually a high watermark of art within Marvel Comics. Like this is always referred to as a as a big high point. Yeah, I mean it, it's immediately like so apparent. And, and yeah. it's got such an engaging visual style to it, and it's really pulling from a lot of unique, different elements, and it, it creates yeah. such an incredible sort of culmination of all these things. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing hints of it right now, but even just by the end of, of this episode, of this podcast episode, we'll really start to see parts of Sterenko's surrealism and op art stylings that become a real high point for Silver Age comics. So it's one of those things that's made me excited to cover S.H.I.E.L.D., even though it's not really in the purview of this podcast, or to cover S.H.I.E.L.D. in this Doctor Strange podcast, is because it is really important and interesting sort of comic book like art and history and stuff. Yeah, it's super fascinating and and you know even if you were to take out all of the word bubbles, it's so enjoyable to just kind of like look at at the actions that are happening and look at, at where they are traveling to and things like that. Yeah. And it's still got a, this big, I always think of it as a Jack Kirby flair for there's these huge <laughs> Byzantine gadgets and yeah. things like that. Totally. Totally. Uh, All right. Yes. So without further ado, we are at Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts in Umar Strikes, script <laughs> by Stan Lee, defender of the faith, art by Bill Everett, keeper of the flame, Lettering by Artie Samek, printer of the word. Um, so at the top of this comic, we are uh, introduced or reintroduced to Umar, the sister uh, and former prisoner of the dread Dormammu, who has been set free following her brother's demise. Uh, to get caught up on all that she has missed, she enlists the help of the Lantern of Lucifer, and through this magical enchantment by the demons of darkness, by the oath I now speak, Umar commands, reveal what I see. Yeah, this is the start of these four-line spell poems yeah. that become a big, actually a big feature of Doctor Strange as time goes by. They're super good. Like, Umar starts doing them, and Doctor Strange starts doing them. I like the idea that if I just got really good at, like, slam poetry, I could also start, like, casting magical spells. Absolutely. Finally give slam poetry some value. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> and here, uh, Shots fired again. <laughs> Um, so this magical enchantment been guaranteed to work lest the omnipotent Oster strike down Stan Lee where he stands. Uh, <laughs> and uh, with the lantern, Umar learns of the origin of Doctor Strange and the cowardice of Baron Mordo. She sees Dormammu's defeat at the hands of Strange as the first meeting of Strange and Eternity, uh, as well as the final clash between Dormammu and Eternity, resulting in their apparent mutual destruction. Yeah, it's basically the second clip show in as many issues of comics. Yeah, this is a wicked, wicked on-point clip show, because uh, then she uh, sees Strange's love interest, Clea, and finally she witnessed the defeat of Kalu at the hands of Strange, and with this newfound knowledge, she decides to take on Strange to avenge her brother, 
but mainly he's just kind of in her way for total power. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'll mention that right now, um, because Umar is the queen of the dark dimension, her head is wreathed in flame, yeah. just like Dormammu. Well, something that's really cool from this point farther is as it goes on, it, it appears that her head is growing more and more on fire. Um, and I love that effect. It starts off and it's almost slightly noticeable, almost like an aura. And then as things like really kick up, she is just like, yeah, she's, she's got, got, got so much on, super on. Saiyan yeah, going on. It's awesome. And there's like even smoke, like billowing off of the flames at one point. It's super cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, with an evil enchantment, Umar jettisons Clea through the void between space and dimensions and transfers her cry for help directly to Stephen Strange. Now, Strange senses Umar's newly established evil presence, but is immediately distracted by the call for help from Clea. And right before Strange can chase after her, he himself is sent hurtling through the dimensional fabric towards the world's unknown, which is like, what is the point of like sending Clea's like message of help? Maybe it's to give him something yeah. to drive him. But like, something. if you're just going to like jettison him into space also, like, anywho. Um, but, uh, I bet we're going to find out where he's going on the next episode yeah. into the dimension of death. Absolutely. Also, I think it's pretty funny that, um, so when we started, so like two episodes ago, when we, when we were talking about Kalu again, <laughs> um, we had this section where Dr. Strange was broke and everything was bad and stuff. And I think that Stan Lee just decided that that plot line was boring. <laughs> like that that subplot of Doctor Strange being in the world and having sort of Spider-Man-esque financial problems was dumb. And he didn't want to do it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was in this episode or one of the upcoming ones, but there's a point where he's just like... No, that It's, it's in this one. It's like uh, he comes back and Wong says... And Wong's and and he and Wong are sort of surveying the damage from the fight from Kalu oh, when right. Kalu sent through and he destroyed everything in the apartment. And Wong's like, "Oh my gosh! Like we're broke. We don't have any money to fix anything. What's gonna? What are we gonna do?" And Doctor Strange is like, "I'm a wizard, man!" And he, like <laughs> waves his hand and he fixes everything in the apartment. And Wong's like, "Well, that's great, but what about the bills and stuff? We still got to get money for that." And Doctor Strange is again like, "I'm a wizard, all right." <laughs> And he just waves his hand and huge stacks of dollar bills just appear out of nowhere. <laughs> well, okay, I'm sorry. I don't want to be this kind of guy, but there are a couple stacks of dollar bills, but there are mainly stacks of just, like, coins everywhere. That's true. <laughs> they could be gold coins. I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and not say that he just summoned a bunch of dimes into existence. He says it's wealth beyond measure, so I'm going to say he's okay, dude. Yeah. And it's not like Wong's doing a ton of manservanting anyway, what with Doctor Strange being in various dimensions and stuff. He can spend some time to roll some doubloons. <laughs> <laughs> but they basically just hit the eject button on this idea of Doctor Strange needing to get money. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we're never going to see his just talent. two issues again. in, and it never comes, Never, it's never a problem again. <laughs> Okay, but anyhow, this takes us to Strange Tales number 152 from January 1967. The, so Nick Fury starts this episode, again, into my mind, driving the bus from speed. <laughs> um, he manages to you do some fancy flying, like flying upside down and stuff, to convince S.H.I.E.L.D. not to shoot him down. But then he realizes that the plane has the overkill horn in it, so he needs to be shot down. <laughs> so he has some other kinds of weirder flying. Yeah, 
Meanwhile, uh, we see Don Caballero at Shield head at a Hydra headquarters decides that he's done with being Don Caballero, <laughs> and he changes his face to Arab stereotype um, Amir Ali Bay yep. and escapes the Hydra hideout just as Nick Fury and the Shield agents that fished him out of the ocean when his plane was destroyed arrive there. They find our old pal, Agent G, the blonde lady Hydra agent from the first Hydra storyline. Uh, she's tied to a chair, and there's a big fight, and eventually they rescue her. And now the sh- fight for, or the search for the evil head of Hydra is on. Oh, and uh, Nick Fury passes Board of Inquiry, and whatever. Sitwell tries to smoke one of Nick Fury's cigarettes and fails spectacularly. <laughs> Sitwell is such a goober. I love him. It's true. <laughs> but as he'll be sure to tell you, uh, don't yield back shield. I'm pretty sure he has that like tattooed on him somewhere. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's hard to tell what the styles are in 1967, right? <laughs> but if it was nowadays, he'd just have a full like arm sleeve that was just don't yield back shield in various languages. Yeah, I do think that like, you know, based on how sort of, uh, nerdy and kind of like lame, uh, uh, Sitwell is. He probably doesn't have any tattoos, but if he does have tattoos, there's only one that he would have, and we know what it is. Absolutely. A, a tribal um, armband of Don't Yield at Back Shield. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Doctor Strange will take us into the dimension of death. Truly hath Stan Lee authored yon awesome epic. <laughs> Verily hath Bill Everett such scenes depicted and finally, didst Artie Simek the lettering inscribe? So say we all. Oh, so awesome. It's cool, man. And it starts with Doctor Strange just sort of flying through, falling through space. This is the best. Take Strange as far away from Earth as possible because you it's can. It's true. Yeah, it's, he's just in this starscape that's full of explosions and tentacle planets and crazy pathways to nowhere. <laughs> It's it, it's really awesome, and it's definitely, to me, it seems like Everett really trying to do his best, like, Steve Ditko impression. Like, hey, like, Dick, Ditko is the only one that can do this. I can do crazy space stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, Ditko really sort of, like, set the standard, and, and now you got to step up. Yeah. I mean, you, and could, so we see, you could also show okay. up. <laughs> but um, we see Strange tangle with a bunch of mystic demons while Umar watches on through the crazy, through the evil television, basically. <laughs> um, after Strange wins some fu- fights off some limbo monsters, Umar summons up some more demons to bring Doctor Strange to her. Uh, the, the the spell is fun. Uh, by the demons of darkness, by the touchstones of fear, at the summon of at the summons of Umar, let evil twins appear. And so these two demons grab Doctor Strange and bring him to Umar. And Umar pretends to be a good guy that was imprisoned unjustly by Doctor Strange, and he tries to and she tries to convince him that Clea has been lost among the mindless ones. And so Doctor Strange goes to fly out. She offers to teleport him there, and he's like, no. And that was apparently her plan was just to teleport him into a mass of mindless ones of the mindless ones. <laughs> Kill Doctor Strange. And because he doesn't allow this, Umar's like, he's on to me. Yeah, it's not that the Strange is well adept at, like, transporting himself places. Yeah. But so, Doctor Strange sees through the uh, first part of Umar's ruse, that Umar is, in fact, a bad guy. But he doesn't see through the second part of a ruse. So he flies out to the ancient, to the mindless ones, I should say, to the mindless ones, to find Clea. And 
In the midst of mindless ones fighting each other, we end our issue and go to Strange Tales number 153 from February 1967. Yeah, real real fast, I do want to just say that something that I like about Umar so much is that she is comprised almost completely of hundreds of rouges. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all all wheels within wheels for Umar. It's it's ruses all the way down. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But with... I digress. Strange Tales 150, The Hiding Place. Um, this comic, I just want to talk about the cover for a second because it starts off with Nick Fury getting a shave and sort of talking about the destruction of the Egyptian Hydra base. Um, and you can mm-hmm. see that, that his um, barber in in the reality kind of looks like Caballero and then in the reflection, he's like all bald and stuff. So Whoa. I'm assuming that that's not just like... Uh, a misstep of art and actually like an allusion to something greater, which we will find out quite quickly. Um, oh, also, uh, Fury is like reading a newspaper, um, but when you look at it from Fury's side, he's just watching a TV. Like it's all like super techno out, and then on the outside, it's yeah. like a legit newspaper. Which Shield has the best invention. I'm pretty sure they've invented every single thing possible, and now they're just like, well. I guess we can make like an electronic newspaper and a tie that's going to blow up. Yeah, it's like um it's like the big conspiracy theories about aliens where all technology was invented by aliens and they're just sort of slowly parsing it out to us <laughs> over the last like 50 or 60 years, except in this case it's a shadowy government secret police organization. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's an, Which, an X-File. I guess could be aliens actually now that I'm thinking about. Yeah, it. right? There's an X-File episode probably about exploding clothes. Um but so, oh, <laughs> so this issue actually starts off with Sitwell and Jones ex- escorting uh, Laura Brown, who's the daughter of the Supreme Hydra. Yeah, she was, we previously knew her as Agent G. Right. Uh, so they are escorting her to a secure, undisclosed lo- location when they are attacked by the Hydra Motorcycle Consortium. No! <laughs> and they just sort of, like, hop off their motorcycles and, like, launch them at the car. Um, and... You know, they're in a real bad state, and so they radio for help on Fury and Dugan immediately hop into a Stola Hydra UFO, which they had Tony Stark soup up for them out of frame, of course, because he's not in these <laughs> comics. Yeah, he was in some of the earlier ones, but he definitely hasn't shown up recently. Yeah, he's, he's busy. He's got his own stuff to do. Yeah, um, he's Iron Man, man. Also, quick note, when Dugan and Fury, like, jettison off with their UFO, like, a bunch of random Joes see it and, and comment, and, like, this one dude comments about how, oh, I just finished a paper that proved that, like, all UFOs were weather balloons, and I just want to say, like, I know you're listening to this dude. I want to see that paper because I don't believe you. Like, it's super unbelievable in the Marvel universe. Yeah, I know. It's the most outlandish thing that's happened in all of these comics. There's literally Thor in the Marvel comics. Exactly. Like, yeah. You live in a world with like Ant Man and Thor hanging out, saving lives daily. And the weirdest part of it all is that this guy's thesis paper is that all UFOs are weather balloons. Like, I want to see those sources. I don't believe you. You're making some really, like, huge sort of, like, claims here, buddy. Um, and I don't believe yeah. it. Sorry. Uh, but anywho. So Fury and Dugan, they uh, race up, and they immediately are swarmed by more Hydra agents while they're trying to rescue uh, everyone else. And so Dugan, in a brief moment of weakness, actually radios for backup. Oh, no. I know, but it's fine. You know, they they needed it, and it's important to really sort of recognize when you're at those moments. Uh, But it so happens that Supreme Hydra has uh, donned a new disguise as S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Bronson, and he is joined with the other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to get 
to go and rescue Fury. And he does this expertly by murdering a whole bunch of his own dudes. Uh, he's always a step ahead. He is. Um, and so now him and Fury are besties. And the Supreme Hydra has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. in the dumbest chess move of all time. Like, it's the equivalent of, like, painting your king the opposite color and then killing all your pawns. Uh, but, you know, he's in charge of Hydra, so he must know what he's doing. Yeah, you can always get more pawns, man. Come on, it's Hydra. You cut off one head, two more go back in its place. <laughs> Uh, they say it right on the tin. Exactly. Uh, and that leads us to Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, in Alone Against the Mindless, Stupefying Story by Spellbinding Stan Lee. Inconceivable in illustrations by Mystic Marie Severin and Legendary Lettering by Sardonic Sammy Rosen, uh, which they're really going overboard with these names now. Yeah, I just want to say that uh, Marie Severin is one of my favorite Silver Age artists. She's really, and, really awesome, especially in yeah. these comics. Like, she picks up the strange stuff, and she is, like, throwing in all these crazy stuff. Like, there's one panel where you can see, like, there's a puddle on the ground, and there's a sword that's been plunged into the puddle, and it's coming out upside down right next to where the sword's pl- been plunged. Like, yeah. It's just full of you know, all these she, weird things. Yeah, she's really awesome, and, you know, she doesn't actually get a ton of... She doesn't, like, get her due, I think as a Silver Age artist, and sometimes in, like, books and stuff about the era, they'll just refer to as a colorist, and boo to this, I say. No, yeah. You know? Because I, I, I think she does a really good job just with Doctor Strange and all the cast of characters and stuff. And I know this is going to be a bold claim, but in, in her work, from what I've just read, uh, she has probably the coolest action um, in, in these comic books. Um, I mean, definitely of the, I I think so of of this era. I mean, especially you know in the Silver Age, everyone's still trying to figure out a lot of really good action stuff. Yeah, and so she does, but she does a good job of making like the mindless ones be really kind of scary. I think she draws Umar really well, definitely. and how Doctor Strange sort of flying around and stuff. Like everything is handled really really nicely, and I just like. She'll, she shows up in comics every now and again. Whenever I read a Silver Age comic and Marie Severin shows up, I'm like, all right, hey, that's that, that's my artist. Yeah, you, you know, know, you know, you're in for something good when you get her name uh, on the comic page. Um, but so, getting into the comic, we begin with Strange being surrounded by the mindless, but it's not really a big problem because he just like flies off and he realizes that they can't jump, uh, so he's okay as long as he's airborne. Um, yeah, they're mindless. You exactly. Know. Says it right there. But while he's flying away, a giant laser flies off into the sky, and uh, Strange worries it could have something to do with Clea. Uh, so Strange just can't ignore the laser, but he realizes the threat of flying directly into a giant laser, so he covers himself in a invisible force field, and he takes off like a moth to the flame. <laughs> uh, all the while, Umar watches overhead through a crystal ball, constantly commenting on how impressive Strange is, and how it's like, such a shame that he's got to die. Uh, personally, <laughs> I really hope Strange doesn't die. Uh, Me too. So Strange makes his way to the beam, and sure enough, he finds Clea, his love, trapped in an intangible light prison. And for a second, for a single heartbeat, Strange lowers his guard. And without an ounce of remorse, Umar delivers a crippling psychic blow to Stephen Strange, completely <laughs> overpowers him, causes him to fall into the waiting hands of the mindless uh, the mindless ones, begin to brutally beat Strange around while he reminds himself of all that he holds dear and that everything that's at stake. And with whatever remains of his strength, he attacks the mindless horde. Uh, this is where things get extremely awesome because Strange quickly realizes that his magic alone won't uh, be enough to save him. 
And so he starts to use like kung fu also. Like Strange starts Yeah. He starts doing some like <laughs> Steven Seagal Aikido level stuff where he's like using enemies like strength against them. He maneuvers enemies in the way of other enemies like blast to block yeah, himself. He does a sweet jump kick. Yeah. So if anyone's got a problem with uh, Marie Severin, they can take it up with him because his <laughs> kung fu fighting is awesome. Um, and now at this point, Umar can't handle how incredible Strange is which is totally valid following all those la- rad laser blasts, super sweet high kicks. Um, so Omar takes control of the Mindless One, commands them to attack Strange all at once. Uh, Strange tries to hold them off, um, and he defends the, his attack with his cloak of levitation, but he realizes that he can't retaliate while he's got his cloak up, and if he tries to attack with his amulet, then he's vulnerable to attacks himself. Um, and even then, the amulet's power only lasts so long. And it really seems like it's the end for our intrepid Void Tripper. Uh, yet, in a final moment of inspiration, Strange realizes that he's been going about things all wrong. And so instead of attacking the Mindless Ones, he unleashes a gleaming, glittering glare by the shining, shimmering shades of the Seraphim and momentarily blinds Umar, which is rad. Um, and so then, thinking quickly, Strange disguises himself as one of the Mindless Ones, but Umar doesn't care. She just forces all of them to attack and kill one another until Strange is revealed. <laughs> uh, and even then, she gets super bored real quick, and so she just banishes Strange's illusory spell. Uh, and now, recognizing that his cover's been blown, Strange summons up the last of his strength and uses his power to rip through the dimensions and save Clea. And it's pretty awesome. It's so good. He's literally like ripping through and you can see him rip through the void of the dimension into sort of like the endlessness. Um, and so Dr. Strange and Clea flee to safety. Uh, but before they can get too far, Umar appears before Strange and reveals to him that what he thought to be Clea has been a mindless one in disguise the entire time. <laughs> and then, you know, Umar cackles at Strange, you are no longer worthy of my attention. Now you shall perish at the hands of the lowliest of my subjects, at the hands of your prize that you thought you had won, which, whoa, that's super evil and, like, really boss. Also, yeah. the next issue is called Death of Clea, which is like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's Doctor. Str- that's uh, Strange Tales, number 154, from March 1967. The cover says, Clea must die. Oh. Um, so, the S.H.I.E.L.D. story, uh, beware the deadly dreadnought. <laughs> so, everyone in S.H.I.E.L.D. is sick and tired of Supreme Hydra changing faces all the time. They've had it. So, they've got a supercomputer with a creepy face called Autofac. Oh, yeah. That's analytical unit for tabulation of origin factors and computation. Because you can't just name something. It has to be. Absolutely. It's got, this thing looks so creepy. It's got like a face and hands. Why? <laughs> it's the Uncanny <laughs> Valley. Basic, literally. It's the 1967 Uncanny <laughs> Valley. So, there, so Autofact's going to figure out who Supreme Hydra is. Meanwhile, we also see a really awesome cutaway blueprint view of the helicarrier. And it's basically like a 12-year-old's drawing of their perfect room, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Or like their totally. fort oh or something. Oh, my gosh, that's perfect. So, like, there's tons of, like, space for, like, armories and an ICBM and a weapons lab and stuff. And n- not a lot of space for, like, living quarters or, like, a mess hall, <laughs> you know? Hey, who needs to eat? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it's just all the, uh, you know, the, the priorities of actual design are not taken into account. <laughs> 
I don't even want to know how many bathrooms there aren't. There's got to be like two. <laughs> I don't see any on the blueprint, but it's just a cutaway view, so who knows? Anyhow, um, so that goes back to um, Shield's Q slash Haberdasher and gets re um, re secret agent re secret gadgeted up basically. Yeah. He gets like a self destruct ring. The buttons of his coat can be chewed to like give him extra oxygen. His uh, he's got a belt. Oh, yeah, sorry, and the punchline is, hey, what's this fancy belt do? The most important thing of all, Mr. Fury, holding up your pants. Uh, insert a rim shot here. What a jerk. <laughs> but it's a good thing that Fury got this new, all this new gear because he's suddenly attacked by a giant blue robot called Dreadnought who bursts through the wall of the helicarrier that's in space to kill him. <laughs> so Fury fights Dreadnought uses every single one of his new gadgets in the process, including his self-destruct ring, which he ends up jamming in the robot's head and destroying him. There's a cool moment where, like, the Dreadnought hits him with gamma rays, and there's these white and black rings, and everything's in negative, and it's very cool. I love it when they, they do that. Like, when they, you know, some people might think that they're, like, cutting corners on, like, art or whatever, but I really appreciate the way that they will mix it up with things like that. Yeah. Now, this is really one of the signature things that Strenko does, so it's something to keep an eye out for. We also learn Dum Dum Dugan's first name. <gasps> oh my God. I've been waiting my name. entire life for this. His full name, which is Timothy Aloysius Catawaller du- Dugan. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gabe Jones asked if his, when they named him, his parents were expecting an elf, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> so good. Oh, um, they're so mean to Dugan. It's true. Uh, he's like he's pretty mean back. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he yeah. punch, he'll punch you in the face, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's not a some softy. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, um, Laura Brown tries uh, sneaks into Autofac to try to figure out the identity of Supreme Hydra, but when she does, she gets chloroformed by Bronson, who is Supreme Hydra in disguise, and then Bronson ch- uh, changes the data so that it looks like uh, Barbara is the um. Or that Laura, I should say. That Laura is uh, Supreme Hydra. And everyone's like, I don't know about that one. You know, <laughs> I'm not buying that it. seems pretty far-fetched. And Bronson's like, all right, I got to just kill everybody, I guess. <laughs> and that's sort of where we end the episode. But we go to the Doctor Strange story, Clea Must Die, a mystic Marvel masterwork by Stan Lee and Marie Severin, lettered by Sam Rosen. So... This issue starts with a one-on-one fight with the mindless one, Umar catfished Dr. Strange into <laughs> thinking it was Clea last episode. <laughs> uh, Strange manages to survive by leaving his physical body, which becomes invo- uh, invulnerable when he assumes he, when he astral projects to his ectoplasmic form. Eventually, the mindless one gets bored with beating up Strange's invulnerable body and walks off to find better prey. And... During this time, Umar, being the standard supervillain, has left the scene, assuming Doctor Strange will be killed. <laughs> Just kind of, you know, cleans her hands off and walks away, like, that's the uh, end yeah. of that chapter. Done and done. <laughs> so Doctor Strange manages to get back into the Dark Dimension and finds Umar monologuing to her uh, goons, basically. <laughs> <laughs> saying that whenever she um, banishes people, she banishes them to a specific dungeon dimension. And that's how she does it, and that's the plan. And Doctor Strange says, oh, well, that's probably where Clea is. I'll check that place out. (laughs) 
So it's a complex thing, and he finally manages to force his way into the dungeon using his cloak of levitation to go through big fiery things of lava and stuff. And he comes to the evil dungeon. And it's rough in the dungeon, man. Um, everybody's black and white, and the and everything seems really miserable. And we hear them all sort of saying like, ooh, that guy's from the outside. He's not one of us. <laughs> and Strange asks if anybody's seen Clea, and he summons up like a magic picture and goes, oh, gee, 1,000. Like, have you seen this girl? <laughs> And they say no. And then Doctor Strange sees a strange sight. A man, a, a man in a robe with a staff that turns out to just be a robe and a staff. It's Veritas. He fell for his own trick. It's true. <laughs> yeah, that's how he took down Mr. Resby. Yeah, exactly. But this turns out to be uh, Veritas, the legendary embodiment of truth incarnate. I don't know why they're in prison. Yeah, who knows? But it's lucky that he is because the two of them team up to take down Umar, basically. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness for that. Yeah. Um, so Strange, so they leave the prison, and Strange fights his way through Umar's various defenses and confronts Umar. But then it turns out that it's just a ruse, or they magic fight, and Strange loses, but it turns out to be a ruse for Veritas, who sneaks up from behind her and sort of shows her the truth of her existence, basically. <laughs> she deserved it, though. Yeah. So Umar feels like she's beaten. But she gets, she decides to get final revenge. Uh, it turns out that actually Clea has been hidden in Umar's evil view screen this whole time. <laughs> and she, and in her last act, Umar shoots a force bolt through the, through the view screen at Clea. She says, by my hand, Clea dies. And that's the end of the episode, and it's BS. Because <laughs> this is another one where, like, the title of the issue is the last thing that happens in it. Yeah. Pretty much. And it just seems like bad pacing to me or something like that. I don't know. I don't like it. I feel like that yeah. oftentimes when this sort of thing happens, they like they know where they want to go. They just don't know how they get there. So they kind of like wander around a bit and they're like, oh, yeah. shoot, we're on page nine. Crud. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but that takes us to Strange Tales number 155 from April 1967. Which starts off with the S.H.I.E.L.D. story, Death Trap. Um <laughs> At the beginning of this, we see Nick Fury like yelling to his crew. He's got to get this new Q-ray set up, which was brought aboard by this scientist, Anton Trojak. Uh, and this guy looks like, if you've ever seen God portrayed in like a movie in a very ham-fisted way, it's like this dude. He also kind of looks like buff Colonel Sanders, who has uh, Daredevil's glasses on. Yeah, I'd say Colonel Sanders with Daredevil glasses is the better description to my mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Also, this is the first issue that's, compl- that's written and drawn by Jim Stranko, oh. which is a pretty big thing for Marvel, because usually everything is drawn by one guy and written by another guy. It's actually pretty unique that Stranko is able to write and draw his own comic, and something that because he was kind of a young guy, blistered the older guys in the Marvel bullpen, like Jack Kirby and stuff. That is really cool. I didn't even think about that. Uh, Just something to keep in mind. Yeah, totally. Um, So Fury apparently has a whole bunch of work. He's got to get this stuff set up, but he goes and he takes a nap. Um, And in doing so, a bunch of Hydra agents, like, creep out of the woodwork to attack him on the shield carrier. And... uh, (laughs) And, you know, he just handles them. Doesn't It's not a big deal. But obviously the fact that there are Hydra operatives on the S.H.I.E.L.D. carrier is a problem. Um, so he, Absolutely. Yeah. So he calls a meeting and he tells everyone about it. And then after that, he walks away and into a trap that's set by Anton Trojak, who turns out to be a Hydra operative, which is shocking to no one. Who could have thought that a guy named Trojak would be some sort of Trojan horse? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so Fury walks into like this big, I guess, laser pit or whatever, electrifying area, and becomes unconscious, which Turojack uses as an opportunity to tie Fury to an, a phonic bomb. Um, <laughs> and it turns out that Anton does like a really crummy job, and you just see like Fury like wiggle his way off the yeah. bomb. He does not try very hard to escape from this bomb. No, no, no. It's like half a panel, and he's like free. Um, and Fury barely escapes the bomb's explosion. Uh, oh, and when the bomb explodes, it doesn't make any noise, you know, because it's a phonic. Um, I think maybe, like, sometimes, every once in a while, stuff like this doesn't have big sound effects. And I wonder if it's just, like, because Sam Rosen had, like, a lot to do that day. Like, the letterer. That. In, in some of the comics that we've already discussed, there are yeah. parts where they're like, oh, this next page is going to be this like detailed without any sound effects, you know, for for our artists and stuff. Like, okay, guys, yeah, I guess. Well, it does like not having it be ma- taken up by sound effects does let you see the cool explosion and stuff. It's pretty neat. That is true. I just don't know. I mean, I I can kind of fill in what an explosion noise would be, so I don't need yeah. to have this whole like set up as to why it's a quiet explosion. Hey man, they're still inventing how these comic books work at this point, you know. Valid. Um, so. <laughs> After he escapes the bomb, Fury is greeted by three more Hydra members who turn out to be Gabe Jones, Jasper Sitwell, and uh, Dum Dum Dugan under oh, no. Supreme Hydra's hypnosis. Uh, and Sitwell is about to pull the trigger to kill Nicholas J. Fury, Starwipe, and we're, uh, join Anton Trojak as he's using the Q-Ray against the very shield carrier he is aboard, um, which doesn't seem like a good long plan, but you know he's taking care of business. Uh, and it doesn't even last very long because Fury just drops down from the ceiling and he tells Trojak <laughs> that his plan was doomed from the start because Sitwell is such a pencil pusher, he couldn't even break a rule under hypnosis, let alone kill Fury. Um, so now the shield carrier has taken way too much damage and begins to fall from orbit until Fury gives the command to fire a trinity of lasers down at the Earth. Which moments are, Oh no. I, yeah, you know, if you think about collateral damage, it's a problem, but there's nothing but strangers down there. As this, It's true. It's a Everybody we know is, so, on the, is on this helicarrier. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, the carrier is kept aloft by these lasers that are just barraging the Earth, I guess. Um, and, you know, if those civilians didn't want to be shot, they shouldn't have been standing there. Uh, finally, Nick receives a call from the president who informs him that because uh, his other friends are now out of commission, it will be Agent Bronson who has been tasked with transporting Laura Brown to safely, which is a problem because we all know that Agent Bronson is actually Supreme Hydra, uh, the exact person yeah. from whom they are trying to protect Laura Brown. And I got to say, yeah, br- oh, go ahead. Oh, Laura had been missing, but they find her in, like, the rubble of Autofact. Yeah, yeah, they find her in the rubble, and she's in the Hydra suit, and, like, Nick Fury's like, this doesn't make sense. Because, uh, yeah. you know, it's apparently Supreme Hydra's plan. It's just not even convincing to Nick. Um, <laughs> but I gotta say, uh, that's a super dumb plan from Lyndon B. Johnson, and I'm really glad I didn't vote for him. Because uh, he's just... Oh, come on. No, he's letting... Oh. He's just letting their their valued person into the ha- awaiting arms of their own enemy. Uh, but... I'm, just, I'm saying hindsight's twenty twenty about who is and isn't Supreme Hydra. Valid. Oh my gosh, are you <laughs> saying Lyndon B. Johnson is, is Supreme Hydra? Well, if Nixon could be head of the secret empire, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> anything's possible. The, the precedent is there, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Anywho, that leads us into... Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, in 
the fearful finish. I'm assuming this is going to be the last one. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Wait, wipe my hands, go home. Only 11 this time. It's a good time. <laughs> uh, we are urged to read the following awesome announcement as quickly as possible for a wealth of enthralling enchantment awaits and not a wondrous word is to be missed. A mystical Marvel masterwork by Stanley and Marie Severin, lettering by Artie Semek. Now, wasting no time because there is none to waste, Stephen Strange speeds off to the aid of Clea, uh, using everything he can muster. Strange races to intercept Umar's deadly spell. And just as it's about to reach Clea, Strange edges out the beam, putting himself between Clea and the blast, and he cries out the incantation, let that which is not... Or, I'm sorry. Let that which is be not... So, let that which is be not. <laughs> Let that which is be not. Let that which was live on. Let Clea be forgot. Reverse thy course. Be gone. And just like <laughs> that, the spells repair, repelled and returns to strike Umar, temporarily weakening her, weakening her. Yeah, it's some full-on Matrix stuff, like pre-Matrix stuff, where he goes faster than Umar's energy bolt and stuff. It's really, really good. Um, and so seizing this opportunity, Strange and Clea flee, but... In order to truly escape, they must travel through the Forbidden Zone. Zootalore, as Gambit would say. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I gotta call out my favorite and worst uh, Marvel character. Uh, Fair enough, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but before they can get there, they are trapped in a dimensional road of repetition. Uh, here you get some really cool art of like Clea and Strange like surfing on this golden beam of energy, watching their past and future selves surfing the same beam. Uh, but Strange realizes that he's about to collide with one of his other cells. And so he, quickly thinking, causes road of repetition to explode with a blast from an amulet, and it frees them, allowing them to finally reach the Forbidden Zone. Uh, their excursion through the Forbidden Zone immediately becomes more deadly than they could have even imagined, though, because as <laughs> soon as they enter, Umar commands the very ground itself to come alive and attack Clea and Strange. Uh, Clea quickly gets caught by the earth, and before she is fully pulled underground, Doctor Strange uses the flames of Faltine to create a protective barrier around the two. Uh, and it's really cool because it, it literally looks like there's no ground underneath them at this point, just yeah. just a burning ring of fire. Um, and so they're real bad, and Strange knows it too. So he casts out a desperate plea for help to his master, the Ancient One. Uh, hearing this, the Ancient One creates a mental link with Strange that results in a giant energy chain being stretched from one to another uh, to create a path of salvation for Strange and Clea to travel upon. However, Umar remains undeterred, and he creates this massive, imposing cosmic storm directly in Strange's path. And it is maybe my favorite single panel in in this entire episode because it's very cool yeah so you're they're in space and there's this giant glowing golden like rings of ragador like stretching off into into the eternity and and into this massive looming storm it's awesome um uh so uh however strange and his master's power prevail and at long last, Strange and Clea return to the home of the Ancient One. Uh, sadly, though, there is no time for celebration, as his master grows considerably weaker, and Clea remains in danger as long as Umar exists. Thus, they must do the unthinkable. The Ancient One tells Stephen they must perform the spell of banishment on Clea. She will be safe from Umar, but none have ever returned from the spell of banishment, and she will be gone from Strange's life forever. 
And it's at this point, I gotta say, I bet Clea would like to have some say as to whether or not she's just banished into nothingness. Nah, she's sleeping. She's okay. She's Don't wake her. There's no time. Um, so without further discussion, the Ancient One ascends to the position of Nirvana, tones the spell of vanishment, and causes the Clea, causes Clea and the magic scroll to fade away into nothingness. Now, Strange is furious and in a rage of having to disappear Clea, actually like a proper magician, might I add, um, <laughs> Strange begins to set off to take down Umar once and for all. Yeah. The Ancient One stops him, tells Strange that Umar is far powerful than Strange could ever comprehend, and that he must not pursue her. Strange doesn't care, though. He makes some big to-do about uh, making an exception and how he's never disobeyed his master before, except he totally does in 149, when, but I guess since it's to save his master's life, it doesn't count. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's okay. Yeah, that one will just give a, a, a wide... Uh, we'll write that one off. <laughs> Good sighting, I like Thank it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and in an act seemingly of desperation, the Ancient One attacks Strange, binding him with his mystic power. He prepares to cast Doctor Strange into another dimension. Strange begins begging his master to be released, uh, to know why he's been turned on... And uh, with that, that the Ancient One informs him, if you were to remain in this universe, you shall surely perish, for Umar walks the earth. Oh, no! Yeah, which I guess is worse than when she was just able to see and do anything from anywhere. Yeah, it is, as we'll find out in Strange Tales number 156 from May 1967. Yeah. Dom. Oh, no. So, but first, the S.H.I.E.L.D. story. It, uh, one thing I want to call out quickly in the opening of the S.H.I.E.L.D. story is we see a new plane Tony Stark has, has, has uh, designed, mm -hmm. and it's called the Dinosaur. Nice. Is that any way related like, to the Brainosaur? I, I can only assume that Tony Stark has some weird fetish for naming his planes after dinosaurs in some way. <laughs> Man, if I could afford planes, I would do the exact same thing. Because first it was the dinosaur, and now it's... Well, first it was the brainosaur, and now it's the dinosaur. He should have really just called it... Like, if he's got a plane that he wants to name after a dinosaur, he should have done, like, the terror dactyl or something like that. I'm sure we'll get to it. <laughs> There's time. Yeah. But so, Bronson's gonna take the dinosaur... Di dinosaur. It's D-Y-N-A-S-O-A-R. So, like, dinosaur. Soar. But he's but so Bronson's going to take the dinosaur with uh, Laura to take her to trial, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, he takes her to Hydra HQ, Hydra Island, which is a crazy, like, Art Deco island, basically. My favorite type of island. Yeah. Islands are not, like, but, uh, fashionable enough, I feel. Yeah, well, this one's all artificial. It's all, like, buildings and craziness. And unknown to Supreme Hydra, Nick Fury stowed away. Oh, man. <laughs> As he's wont to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, basically, um, so, yeah, so Nick Fury is stowed away. He's got an awesome jumpsuit. He's got some cool new spy gadgets. He's dieharding his way through Hydra Island. <laughs> As Supreme Hydra addresses the world, surrender or be infected by Hydra's deadly death spore. Do you know that there are uh, 40,000 Hydra terrorists in the world, and Fury has to happen to kill the one that's got feet smaller than the size of his sisters? Get out of here, buddy. I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, Supreme Hydra makes an address to the world, and you see pretty much the whole Marvel Universe in the, um, in the announcement. We see the Fantastic Four... Uh, Thor, Daredevil, and Spider-Man in one panel, Captain America, 
Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye in another, the X-Men in a third, and then like Wasp, uh, Giant Man, and Iron Man, and the Hulk. Has the whole like 616 thing been established yet? No, nah, not yet. Okay. So this could be anyone. It's basically the 616, though. <laughs> whatever. I noticed that, that we don't see Doctor Strange in this, but whatever. He's probably busy. <laughs> uh, just a long line of slights in by of Doctor Strange in, in large-scale Monster Universe in stuff. In his own comic, no less. It's t- that's, that's all I'm saying. I see you, Marvel. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, Nick Fury infiltrates the base. There's some really awesome Stranko um, fight scenes like where Nick Fury like, launches himself off things and people go flying and things. It's really neat. Yeah. And we see, and Supreme Hydra gets his face returned to its original face. Of no face? No. Um, we see, you see it after Nick Fury, after Nick is um, captured. We see that Supreme Hydra is, in fact... The has the scarred and monocled face of Baron Strucker. Oh my gosh! And FYI, Baron Strucker is like a Nazi that Nick Fury fights in the Howling Commandos in the his his World War II comic. But apparently, he's alive and well in the 1960s. Oh, dip. <laughs> next issue, showdown. But that's the next episode as well. I gotta say though, like we can't really be sur- that surprised that there are people who have existed longer than sort of the the regular amount of a human lifespan. It's true. Like, Nick Fury's kind of, they'll reveal that he took, like, a serum to make him be young, but he doesn't have to be that young. You, you don't have to be that young to be a World War II vet and also walking around in 1967. Yeah, you know? seriously. But, you know, still, whatever. <laughs> so, Umar walks the earth. Brand ye these necromatic names upon thy brain, O true believer. For they have truly created in thine own behalf enchantment without end. Stan Lee and Marie Severin, lettered by Artie Semek. Let's go, Artie. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stan Lee, so, geez. So, Umar <laughs> is loose on the streets of New York. She's banishing bystanders and generally being ve- vaguely evil. <laughs> Maybe she's just protecting them from the lasers that are coming from the the shield carrier. It's certainly possible. <laughs> um, so realizing that Umar is about to strike at um, him, at both the at both, both himself and Doctor Strange, the Ancient One releases Strange from his banishment. He tells Strange that the Ancient One's going to go have a showdown with Umar, and Doctor Strange should spend should play their trump card by summoning the greatest of evils. The mighty Zom. That seems like a zero-sum game. It's 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 like a weird choice. <laughs> but meanwhile, uh, Umar is running amok in New York City. She makes her way to the Sanctum Sanctorum and completely levels it. <laughs> and it's not clear how Wong survives this. And I'm worried about Wong. I'm sure he's probably running errands or something. Now we totally see him inside the house when she levels it. Oh, man. Well, he's so, smarter I don't know. than we ever assumed. Hey. And at this point, also, Stan Lee takes some time to tell us that Umar isn't actually speaking English in all this. Uh, she's speaking the dark, the dialect of the dark dimension that's loosely translated for our benefit. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I feel bad for all the people she's banishing. Like, they don't even know why they're disappearing. It's true. <laughs> so then, from New York City, Umar strikes at the Ancient One, basically through the Earth, <laughs> from New York to <laughs> Tibet. It's pretty awesome. But through this... Um, Doctor Strange is summoning Zom! It's, it does not seem like this is going to be worth it. In the name of the Eternal, by the rings of Ragador, though his spirit be infernal, infernal, 
Zom must live once more. Okay, so Zom is crazy. Zom is furry, kind of like a Wookiee from the neck down. Oh my gosh. He wears a light blue sleeveless vest, an orange sash belt, purple briefs, and yellow loafers. And then his head is, he doesn't, his, his necklace in kind of potato shape with one big strand of hair coming out of his forehead. This guy's insane looking. He looks like a oh. Mr. Potato you've left in the sun too long. Yeah, he's mystically blindfolded, and his hands are chained together and covered with what look like um, like the tops of uh, fancy salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> oh my god. Or like cheese graters or something. He looks crazy, yeah. man. In a really weird way. <laughs> kind of makes you miss the Sphinx. I mean, at least the Griffin had like a design ethos, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it seems like... Like Maurice Severin just kind of threw a bunch of darts at a dartboard for elements of Zom's design and kind of went with that. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, the Ancient One and Umar are, have squared off for a showdown at Stonehenge, where apparently the Ancient One lost to Dormammu many years ago. I think second to space, Stonehenge might be my favorite epic battle location. It's a good location. It's going to show up a couple times in uh, this sort of series of fights with the Ancient One and stuff. For sure. Um, and things are going bad in the fight between Ancient One and Umar. Umar has beaten the Ancient One pretty pretty, pre- pretty well mm-hmm. until Strange shows up with uh, Zom. And Umar basically takes one look at Zom and is like, deuces, I'm out of here. <laughs> and she vows never to return to Earth because Zom is loose on Earth and that's real bad and she can only be safe in the Dark Dimension. <laughs> yeah, she should never have left. Yeah, but so now, hey, uh, the, Zom, the uh, Umar problem is solved. But uh, how do we solve our Zom problem? <laughs> it's not clear. But we'll find out next. Get rid of Zom, and then you gotta get it, cover everything with bear yeah. traps. And then the snakes kill the bears, and then we just wait for winter, and the snakes all freeze. Exactly. <laughs> but we'll find out how they deal with Zom on the next episode of Stranger by the Dozen. Woo! Woo! All right. So, if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail dot com. Or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram at Stranger by the Dozen. Uh, you can find the find us on Twitter at Stranger by the Stranger by the Twelve. That's Stranger by the One Two, and at Tumblr at Stranger by the Dozen During the week, I'll post a bunch of images and quotes from these issues, so you can keep an eye out and just see what Zom and Umar look like and things like that. You need to check that out. Absolutely. You can find Stranger by the Dozen on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any podcatching app. If you want to contact Duncan and yell at him for his terrible opinions, you can find him on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. You can find him on the internet by Googling Duncan Weir and choosing the one that's not the rugby player. Got it in one. Uh, Yep. Please like and review the show wherever you find it. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much for for coming on the show, Duncan. Oh, my pleasure. All right. And until next time, faithful listener, I say, I am drained. My very soul is numb with fatigue. I shall go to the quiet of my retreat to rest and savor the sweet rapture of the name Clea. And so, Doctor Strange moves away from us wearily, his greatest battle won. Thus ends the most bizarre adventure in the annals of the mystic arts. Next month, the Master of Mystery begins a new life. Share it with him then.